Star Wars, give me those Star Wars, nothing but Star Wars, don't have that Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, the official Star Wars show of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ryan Daly, and this time out, my guest is a podcaster who has covered several classic Marvel Star Wars comics on his show, The Longbox Crusade. Please welcome Mr. Pat Sampson. How are you, Pat? Doing good, Ryan. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for agreeing to do this. I, I've We've talked before months ago, I think, on uh, Aaron's G.I. Joe Real American Headcast, and yes. I've wanted to work with you again. I was hoping that we could get a chance to do one of these, and I'm really glad we're getting this chance, so uh, I'm excited. Well, I'm excited to be on the show after listening to it several times um, and hearing you on the G.I. Joe and all your other endeavors that you do. I'm I'm honored to be a part of this, so thank you very much. Well, I wasn't fishing for that compliment, but thank you. (laughs) Since this is your first time on the show, please tell our listeners how and when did you first discover Star Wars? Well, that's a... I have to go back in my memory here on that one. It's just like everybody probably. It's been... Fell in love with it. I didn't see the first movie, but I went to the theater to see the second movie and the third movie. Um, probably when the toys were out, getting those as a kid, also getting some of the comic books when they came out. I, if you've listened to the, my podcast, I've only have four, five, and six of the original. Mm-hmm. Then from those comics, uh, I've gotten a few in between, and then the Empire Strikes Back, and then also I have the Jedi, um, the actual bigger printed Jedi. I don't know if that's a, I don't think it's a Treasury edition, but it's a bigger format of the Return of the Jedi. I also have the Empire in a novel size format, too. I got that through Scholastic's books. Yeah, I remember yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's really torn apart. I think I got it in di- different pieces now, but still have it. So I remember reading that a lot as a kid. Um, buying the toys, playing with the friends in the neighborhood that had the cooler toys, like the Millennium Falcon and all the, the bigger toys that I couldn't get as a kid. Then I would get, just watching the movies over and over, I actually have, uh, when I was able to afford them, I got them on, I have the movies on Laserdisc. Hmm. I think I have two and three. I'm going to call them two and three in my, you know, I guess five and six, but um, I have those on Laserdisc in their original formats. Still pull that out every once in a while to watch them, Uh, but it's definitely a a movie I wanted to get on nice digital and, and good quality sound to watch over and over again. Oh, yeah, I understand. After that, just continuing to get a lot, have a stack full of, bookshelf full of all the extended novels. Haven't read all of them yet, but, and my wife keeps asking me, why do you keep buying those things? <laughs> when I retire, I'll be able to have time to read, so that's what I'm uh, looking forward to. That's what we all say. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> as long as it keeps her off my back, that's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> that's also what we all say. Yeah, she's not here right now, so. <laughs> um, I, and then just, uh, she actually helped me, um, I, just with your episode of the Power of the Force figures, she helped me a lot in getting um, all that I could out of those, uh, getting doubles. I have tons of those um, opened and then unopened. Uh, her working at Walmart really helped out a lot. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, just a love for it. Um, 
I love the the story behind it, the extended story between all three movies or all, all seven movies. Yeah, I, I guess growing up a Star Wars fan, a kid, that was my uh, as my love. And any other thing that Lucas had out playing the games, the video games, everything. So cool, cool. All right, folks, we are now in the month of December. Rogue One, a Star Wars story, is less than two weeks away from its North American release. Pat and I are going to pregame by talking about the signature visual icon of the film, the Death Star. But before we get to that topic, we've got a few Star Wars current events to discuss. As always, this segment may contain spoilers for upcoming Star Wars movies or events. If you don't want to be spoiled, skip ahead to the next segment. The start time for the main topic is listed in the show notes for this episode. Okay, first bit of news, the actress Amelia Clark has been cast in the Han Solo standalone film that's scheduled to come out in 2018. Fans may recognize Amelia Clark from the HBO series Game of Thrones, where she plays Daenerys Targaryen. She also played Sarah Connor in last year's Terminator Genesis. Pat, any quick thoughts on the casting announcement? I didn't know her from Game of Thrones because I haven't been watching that yet. Mm -hmm. But when you mentioned Terminator, I think I remember her in that one. Seems like she'll be a you know good fit for that. Do we know what, what what is she playing again? There's no no announcement of what okay. kind of character she's playing or what the character's name is. I'm assuming it's an original character. I'm assuming because of her age and her relative like you know kind of star on the rise with Game of Thrones and everything. I'm assuming she'll probably be a main character, maybe a love interest for Han before mm-hmm. you know he meets up with Leia and everything. Yeah. Um, I think it would be interesting if she was like a villain, if she was actually like uh, a problem for him. Mm-hmm. But as far as I know, the only official cast members they've announced is Han Solo, played by Alden Ehrenreich. They have said that a young Lando is going to be in the movie, played by Donald Glover, and now Amelia Clark. So those are the only bit of, and yeah, I don't know who she's playing, but I like her. I, I think she'll be great, whatever they give her to work on. So yeah, I'm excited for that one. I like your your idea of being like a, uh, could be like a love interest and also a opponent, right? In that kind of a, you know, they're both the same kind of person, but. Yeah, that would be kind of neat. Yeah, if she's like another smuggler or a card player, there's some sort of like betrayal involved or something like that. They could do it like a, a heist movie where, you know, there's a double crossed. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do, but I think it'll be pretty good. Yeah. So. This next part isn't really news. It's just sort of confirmation of what we've all been speculating. The direction of the Star Wars universe after the release of Episode Nine in 2019 is not settled yet. The studio is waiting to see how Rogue One performs critically and especially commercially. If Rogue One is a smash hit, the studio will embrace more of these standalone anthology-style films. Kathleen Kennedy has even said that they would be open to taking more risks with the type of Star Wars films that they produce. If the reception is a little bit colder, however, expect the focus of future films to remain on the saga characters and the struggle against the dark side. Any thoughts on this? Do you have any preferences of where you would like to see the franchise go? Uh, any particular type of Star Wars movies that you would like to see? Well, I would have liked to see the legacy stuff after mm-hmm. the Thrawn trilogy. Um, maybe they could still do that, bring that back. Um, some of that extended universe uh, was always interesting to me. Boy, I do, I, you know, I, I, I do hope this movie is as good as they, it looks to be. Yeah, and I guess I'm not. I guess I would be pretty open to anything right now. I think they got a pretty good handle on where they want to go with it, and if Disney's running the show, 
they're going to figure out ways to reinvent it for the generations to come, I think. Yeah. If it's a thing where they still release a new movie every year, which I think yeah. is their plan, um, and as long as people keep going to them, I think that'll be the case. I like the sort of alternating style that what they've proposed for at least the first phase of give us a kind of big picture saga movie one year and then the next year do something completely different do like a standalone solo type movie do a flashback movie do a different genre movie like yeah. you know this one is is like a rogue one seems to be like a, a real type of war movie like a like a war espionage movie who knows what han solo will be it might be more of a you know thief heist type of movie it might be a more of a race movie or a western movie you know do something along those lines give us different genres you know experiment yeah. with some of those i think i think the the property is financially sound enough that they can do some experimentation so yeah, that would be kind of good. I would, just when you think of that in my mind, I start seeing pod racers. It'd be like a Days of Thunder. <laughs> there you go. Pod there racing series. There you go. Something like that. That would be that would be cool. Would be fun. <laughs> All right, Pat and I are going to take a short break to play a promo for the Longbox Crusade. Don't go away though, because when we return, we're talking about the dreaded Death Star. He has been challenged to read all the comics he has collected. This podcast will summarize, review, and reminisce about a single comic book issue and the time period somewhat chronologically by release date. He keeps a stack of comics near his bedside for when the time is right. Who is this interesting comic fan and what is the podcast? Hello, my name is Pat. I don't normally do podcasts about the comic books I read, but when I do, I podcast about them on The Longbox Crusade. Listen to it on iTunes, Stitcher, or on theLongboxCrusade.com and check out the Facebook page. Read them all, my friends. Commence primary ignition. I think the strength of the Death Star is just the imagery, the iconography. You see something, it is so simple looking. This spherical kind of planetoid in space. It it looks like a planet, it looks like a moon. In fact, it was mistaken for a moon as part of the dialogue in that movie. But Mm -hmm. with just this simple little divot inside that that sensor dish, which is actually like where the, the laser shoots from, it's just one of those things you see that anywhere and you know what it is and it evokes all of these memories and feelings. It's, I think that image of the Death Star is as powerful as almost any other image you get from the Star Wars mythology, which is filled with memorable images. What are your kind of general impressions of the Death Star? It's massive. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you're right there too, where it's it's got that iconic look to it. Everybody knows it when you see it, when you see the circle, and then the I guess we'll call it the satellite, the little divot is always in the upper left hand corner when you see most of the pictures of it. Yep. Until you don't know, you don't you don't realize that it's actually you know it's a weapon of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. It just looks like a just a, a moon is what it was at at the time. The size of a moon is what they say. And. You mentioned, I mean, you mentioned the size, you called it a weapon of mass destruction, and it is both of those things. 
it is at once a location. I mean, it's it's a yep. ginormous space station, but like functionally, when the characters are walking around, it feels like a city or a base or a headquarters. It has all of that sort of functionality, but its purpose is to destroy, and it's like they've weaponized a moon. And what does it say about the Empire that they have this Death Star, like, as a tool, as a weapon, and as a visual metaphor? Like, when you just look and think about the Death Star, what impressions does it give you of the Empire itself? Go big or go home. <laughs> we're, uh, <laughs> we're in charge here, you know, we're carrying the, the big stick. But I guess at the time, nobody knew what it was, well, people knew what it was going to do those working on it and um but those that didn't know uh what its full capacity could be it is a big massive thing from and and we get a look at it from the corridors the the different control rooms uh some of the different scenery in there that you know the bridge that they swing across of that how huge that is and looking down how far that goes down uh you know you get everything from the the penthouse to the garbage chute Mm mm-hmm it must be huge if they got to get rid of their waste somehow. That's a really weirdly inefficient method of getting rid of waste in space, too. Why do they need to like smash everything and like make it smaller when they can just eject it into space? Yeah, just or, flush it out like uh, you would an RV. Right, right. <laughs> and how does like a living thing like the Dianaga get in there? I would just think of that myself. Is how did how do you get this? Was it something somebody didn't want to eat and they just threw it down there? And then you know, it's a squid-like yeah. creature. So it's the Death Star. It's this thing. It's just I, I think the size tells you the grand scale of the Empire, the scope, the power that they represent. I mean, it it, it seems like the the whole world is out to get the Empire, and of course we're talking about, you know, like a galaxy, but to put it on a more human scale that the audience can understand, I think it's a great visual that tells you how powerful they are, how cold they are, the lengths they're willing to go, and what they do with that power, which is destroy and subjugate and promote fear. Exactly. I was just going to say that that's what the the sole idea from the Emperor's sole idea was Mm -hmm. probably to maintain fear throughout the galaxy. And Grand Marf Tarkin actually says that it's fear will keep the local systems in line, fear will of the battle station. Right. The Tarkin doctrine, you use the weapon once so people can see that it can kill you and then you never have to use it again just because everybody knows to be afraid. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned some of the bits inside the Death Star, like, from that first Star Wars movie, what are some of your favorite moments or your favorite scenes set in the Death Star? And actually, we'll, we'll throw this out to the second Death Star in Return of the Jedi. Like, what are okay, your favorite good. locations or favorite set pieces in the Death Star? Uh, well, I, I like the prison escape and the garbage chute, of yeah. course. Those are favorite scenes. Um, one of the funny things, and I, I've gone back to kind of witness it, I think it's when the some of the stormtroopers are walking, one's too tall and he hits his head on the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, famous scene that you have the door, yeah. the door sliding up and the, the stormtrooper walks yeah. in too quickly and it hits him in the head. Yep. Yeah. Um, the scene where Han runs and then more stormtroopers come back after him. Mm-hmm. It's some comic relief there. For the second Death Star, I like when Vader's first arrival on the second Death Star, just how massive you see more... Like in the first on the landing bay where, well, I guess there, there could be many landing bays on the Death Star. Mm-hmm. But, you know, where the Falcon was, it wasn't like there was a lot in that space. 
uh, when the Falcon was there. Yep. When you see when you see it in the second Death Star, they got more grander, more you know, all these troops are there waiting for him. Mm-hmm. Of course, I like the final duel on the second Death Star. Yeah, I love just the look of the Emperor's throne room. It's yeah. such like this cold blue and black space. The way that scene is lit visually, just between like all of the the electronics on the walls and everything are kind of cast this blue light. And then mm-hmm. you've got the green lightsaber versus the red lightsaber. So these like strong primary colors just sort of reflecting and glowing in the blackness of the space. Yeah, that's a that's a great little scene. Yeah. Um, and a big open window for him that he has to look out on. Yep, yeah. All absolutely. that he controls. Yeah. I wish my office looked like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. I actually looked up, you can buy a model replica of the Emperor's chair, like his throne. <laughs> um, I think several thousand dollars, so Ooh, boy. a little bit too rich for my blood, but... um. Yeah, does it I'd come with anything in it? Like, can um, you control anything else? Or there, there might be like a button or whatever where you can press to like fire a super weapon. Um, uh, I don't. Hmm. That might you know cost extra. You might have to plug something in. <laughs> a coffee warmer or something. Yeah. <laughs> what does he do when he's just sitting there waiting? One of the armrests folds up, and you can put the remote control in there. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when the batteries don't work? Can you see him just trying to? Why isn't this thing working? <laughs> It only turns partway because, yeah, it <laughs> rotates. It only gets like halfway and then it stops and you're just stuck <laughs> looking at the wall. That's why he keeps the Imperial Troopers or the, uh, <laughs> the Royal Imperial Guard. Guard in there so they can go up and change his channel for him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why is the voice command not working? <laughs> Turn on ESPN. Oh, a cooking channel. What is this? <laughs> and then that's why the bridge there is that if they don't do or put on the right channel, he gets mad and throws them over the side. Yep, yep cast them down in that little bit. Yeah. Uh, I also, that's also one of my favorite scenes from the first movie. My, one of my favorite Luke Skywalker moments. The little chasm swing that he does with Princess Leia. I yeah. love the whole thing. Once they get out there and the, the shootout when he's got the gun first and then he gives her the gun and she's blasting the stormtroopers. He throws the grappling hook. They swing across. That's just such a classic old school adventure yeah. serial moment. Yeah, I totally love it. And and you mentioned too the prison escape. I just like like the grilled floor work in the prison. It's oh, just yeah. such a, you see that and again just yeah, the the design you get you kinda like you can see a still image of some of the spaces in this in the Death Star and you know exactly what you're looking at. That's what I love about going back to the toys, the old playset. Yeah. That was you know, from the 70s, that place that, that had those iconic areas that you could play with. Now, I never had, I don't want to say, I had the toy, but it was a hand-me-down from, a, I bought it from another kid that didn't want it anymore or grew up. Mm-hmm. So I was probably about just a few years younger than them and hadn't grown up yet. <laughs> Still haven't, but, and, and just getting that from him and enjoying that place at that little slice, it was like, what it was like a slice of pie of the Death Star. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, um, wow, I wish I had the money to get the Lego playset of that. Have you seen that? I've seen it. Oh, yeah. It's, but, it's like 500 bucks. Yeah. Legos are crazy nowadays. Yeah. Like, but that, that's got, a, that's, that one's got like different scenes, even it's round and you can, it's got mm-hmm. like different, uh, quarters of, yeah. of scenes that are, that would be cool to have. Right. Exactly. Yeah. One of my questions that I've had and, uh, because as much as I love the Death Star, as impressive as it is, it seems like something, okay, the, the threat of the Death Star was neutralized at the end of the first movie. But then it kind of wasn't, because 
Yeah. They bring it back. They start rebuilding it in Return of the Jedi. If you go on to the prequel movies, we see plans for it in Attack of the Clones. We see the construction of it at the end, like the epilogue of Revenge of the Sith. Then in Rogue One, it's all about, you know, building of this thing. And in The Force Awakens, you have Starkiller Base, which is just, you know, version 3.0 of the Death Star. And I wonder if seeing it so much or seeing these other versions, does that enhance what makes the Death Star special? Or do those repeated versions diminish how cool the Death Star is? Well, in thinking about that, each one, you have the first one from Episode 4. Then you have, well, even if you go going back to some of the extended universe uh, in the legacy books now is uh, with the, the Maw station, Maw installation, mm-hmm. yep. which you had the prototype, right? which I'm assuming wasn't as big as the... Yeah, it was like the bare bones skeleton yeah, of the... Of the Death Star. Yep. Then the next, the second Death Star was a little bit bigger. I don't know, just looking at the the mass, I think it was a little bit bigger than the original Death Star. And then the Star Killer base, there you have a planet, right. sized planet. So it got bigger and bigger and bigger as it, as it grew. My thoughts on, on that are, um, you know, if you don't succeed the first time, go big the next time and then the next time until you get it right. But then it's like, how many times does it take for them to get it, get the hint that putting all your eggs in one basket doesn't, is not going to work? And that brings me to the next question, which is how destructible these things are. <laughs> Can you defend the simple weakness, the, the simple weak spot in the Death Star's construction? Is there a way to justify that kind of... I mean, does that strain credulity too much? Is, does that are, are you able to suspend your disbelief and say, yeah, one proton torpedo down a ventilation shaft could destroy this thing that's the size of a moon? Because hmm. I, I mean, I'm okay with it. Again, thinking about the Death Star as a metaphor and as a symbol for the Empire and what sure. the Empire represents and how big they are. But what is the danger to the Empire? It's not a full-scale armada fleet. It's something small that they can't yeah, see. Yeah, exactly. Which it's is always... the Rebellion and this one particular Jedi Knight that they thought they had wiped them all out, but there's this one kid who's still out there. So as a metaphor, I'm fine with it. I mean, it's it's Star Wars. If you scrutinize it that much, how much of it is is going to hold up? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with it too, knowing that that's what it takes. And, and each time... The you know the first one's just that it's the exhaust port of the reactor that it needs to go down to get to the mm-hmm. second one. They have to fly in and destroy uh, the reactor, which is also so want, amazing looking. Yeah, I, I wonder if because it's so huger, did they go down the same like they just went into an <laughs> exhaust port that they could just, actually fly a, into now? It was a bigger exhaust port, the size of a Falcon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Enough that you know squeeze in there because it was pretty tight. I mean, <laughs> it was. And then the with with the star star base or star, star killer, killer base, yeah. the the big you know placing the bombs and all around that uh, that was the reactor area too wasn't it or yeah it was it was basically the energy heat vent area. yeah it was they blew up the thing that allowed the uh, basically the excess radiation to vent away from the planet after when it was building up all of the energy just launched so that it basically it just uh, the energy that was stored in there had nowhere to to escape so it just built up in the core and. I think destabilized the planet. I think that was kind of the explanation that I understood. And thinking about that, Flynn had um, he had experience of being there, and he was he was he in the maintenance. 
Yeah, he said he was in like maintenance and sanitation when he was yeah. stationed there. Going back to the first movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, um, yeah, that yeah. Even the littlest part like that, him knowing that it was the could take them down. Right, right. Somebody that, that small could take you down. Yeah, good point. Interesting. Anyway, yeah, I mean, like I've said, I I love what the Death Star represents on a visual, iconic level for the Star Wars galaxy, for the, the whole franchise and everything. It's something you see and you know what it means. And I think, honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why the trailers and the promos for Rogue One have been so effective kind of on an emotional level because I mean we don't know these characters yet. I mean these are these are brand new people and I think a lot of fans are assuming that most of them aren't going to survive the movie because we're never seeing them again at least in Star Wars Empire and Return of the Jedi. Um so it That's sounds true. like it, it, this might be a suicide mission for a number of the characters. But when I've talked to people who watch those promos, you know the first time you see the dish being planted in the Death Star mm-hmm. like in that first teaser for Rogue One, they were like their jaw dropped and they're like, oh man, this is what it's about. You know, the image in one of the other trailers of just sort of the Death Star scene in the daylight on the horizon over a planet. Yeah. Uh, you know, eclipsing. Exactly. Yeah, that's... yeah eclipsing a, a moon or a sun or something. It's People see that and they respond to it and it's because they remember how special the Death Star was to them in the 70s and 80s. And that's something truly remarkable about this world and, and this whole property. So... They could do a movie just on, you know, them building that, you know, how, how massive that thing was. And then, you know, them taking uh, what I think they used a lot of the Wookiees at the time to use them as slave labor. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that's what I want. Like we were talking about uh, what other kinds of Star Wars movies you'd like to see. I want to see like a Jaws style horror movie of the, <laughs> the Death Star sanitation crew that has to clean out those um, the trash compactors that keep getting pulled under the water by the Dianaga. <laughs> Make it a mix between Jaws and Alien. I would like some horror movie. Yeah, like all, all of a sudden all the power goes out in the base and <laughs> yeah. somebody has to make their way back to yeah. it'd be like aliens. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to see like that yeah the image of aliens with like newt in like halfway in the water with the alien creeping up behind her you just see yeah. the same thing but like a stormtrooper just standing there <laughs> and these tentacles coming around from over top and it's oh i want to see this movie well, now. <laughs> yeah that would be cool <laughs> one right. night 24 hours on the death star can you survive <laughs> that would be so good oh man whoever survives gets to become a trooper <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're instantly promoted to like one of the officer class that Darth Vader just killed. <laughs> he just he just murdered an admiral, so you get to take his that guy's spot. Yeah, uh, so. take this place. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, any final thoughts on the Death Star before we go? I, I do find uh, again some of the the interesting stuff on like talking back to the prototype one, mm-hmm. um, learning a little bit more about it, um, just in in prepping for this. You know, myself learning more. Yeah. On this and the the chronology of it, how they built it, I think it was, was it like ten years prior or ten years before it was destroyed. It was built. It depends on which timeline you're going yeah. with. I mean, if you're going on the original uh, expanded universe canon before Disney bought it, then yeah, it wasn't around as long. But if you go back to if you if you interpret the new movies and the new timeline, then the plans existed before the Clone Wars even. So that takes you back 
much like 20 years or 30 years or something. I don't know. You're talking episode two and one, two and three. Right. Because yeah, so I think they're talking, they talk about those in those movies. Yeah. Genosis. Again, it depends on what timeline you're looking at. Depend- yeah. We'll change the chronology of the, uh, of when the Death Star was created and how long it took. So, yeah. I guess it's taken me a little bit to get used to that new chronology. Again, growing up, knowing the history and the, I, I, I'm more of the, I like the old stuff, but I'm getting used to the new stuff. I, especially, you know, I remember playing the um, Dark Forces, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Kyle Catan. That would be a good one, too. I'd like to see him. Yeah, that would be a cool one. I'd like to see like him, that. Mara Jade. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, those would be cool. Yeah. No, Movies. I'm, I'm with you. I, I was a huge fan of the Expanded Universe, and I, I'm kind of to the point now where I can sort of make up my own canon, what I choose to believe as part of the story and what isn't, so... Yeah. yeah, I think that's a good point. And it, you know, it's your Star Wars, and it's what you make of it, right. and what what parts you like. Right. That's what I've learned on how to deal with the first, second, and third episode. <laughs> yeah, that that was that was a major influence on me deciding. Okay, I'm going to be selective on my yeah. Star Wars from this point on. So, yeah, but I'm definitely looking forward to the. Uh, the new movie coming out um it very it looks really interesting just to see what they can do now with technology and in in the movies and just maybe we will get a little bit more inside of the death star too yeah yeah or, or maybe them you know some scenes of them you know building it and getting things together like that that would be interesting to see as well too hopefully they show some of that i hope so I hope so. Like I said, I, I selfishly I hope it's good because I want to be entertained and I want to like another Star Wars movie. I also hope it's good commercially because oh, yeah. I want them to make more and like we talked about before, I want them to take chances and do some more, you know, experimental movies. So mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. It, it it's a good year to or a good time to be a Star Wars fan again. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to wrap it up here, but before you go, Pat, you must answer the galactic questionnaire for every guest on Give Me Those Star Wars. You ready for these? I am ready for these. I've been waiting for my chance to do these, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Good. These answers better be good, then. <laughs> no, no, you put too much pressure on me. <laughs> All right. Well, question one. Would you rather drive Luke Skywalker's land speeder from Star Wars A New Hope or Ray's speeder from The Force Awakens? I was always a speeder fan at the time, but seeing her motorcycle, I I, I would kind of go with Ray's just because I I like motorcycles. I got my license, so I'm going to go with that. Very cool. Very cool. Nice choice. Uh, Number two, classic Imperial Stormtrooper or First Order Stormtrooper? The First Order Stormtroopers, they look pretty bad. And in a bad way, you know, I mean that in a good way. Mm-hmm, bad mm-hmm. is good. <laughs> um, I'd have to go with Classic just from my heart. Okay, understand. Number three, would you rather have a lightsaber or Boba Fett's jetpack? I would go, got to go with lightsaber. Just be having always dreamed about having one and playing with them. Number four, would you rather live on Tatooine or Dagobah? Hmm. Hot or wet? I guess I'd say Tatooine seems to be more stuff to do, so I could go out on the town if I wanted to. I could always go to Tashi Station. There you go. Pick up some power converters. It's a happening spot. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) All right, question five. Not counting Boba Fett, who is the coolest bounty hunter introduced in The Empire Strikes Back? 
I'm going to go with Dengar. Really? I have to. Yeah, no one gives him any love, so someone has to. I think somebody else, somebody else on the show gave. Yeah, somebody gave was him. mentioning him, but I yeah, I think it was close. All right, cool. Dengar. Nice. Yeah. Good. Yep. Outside the box pick. All right. Number six, would you rather go on a date with Princess Leia or Carrie Fisher? Princess Leia. I think she'd have a lot more to say, and uh, I think we could uh, yeah, we could dress up and go somewhere nice. Uh, finally, number seven, if you had the Force, would you be pulled to the light side or the dark side? I would probably say the light side um, just for the nobleness of it, but when I played Dark Forces or uh, Jedi Knight Two or whatever, mm-hmm. and playing that online. Oh, I gotta love the grapple or the grip and the you pick somebody up and then you could throw them, um, and then shooting lightning at. We would play that so much online against people, and just you just force lightning them or you push them and choke them. You like the dark side powers? Well, uh, I, I like them, but I guess I have a little bad side in me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, Pat, thank you very much for being my guest on this episode. Where can people find you online or in the realm of podcasting if they want to hear more from you? Well, you can find me online on um, the longboxcrusade.com website. Um, That's also a um, Longbox Crusade on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, I haven't gotten any. I'm working on getting some episodes out so I can uh, start to do that a little bit more. Uh, also working on another project uh, that I'm hoping to get started uh, or at least do some releasing of those episodes on early, let's just say early um, 2017, hoping to make a, an impact there. Very cool. All right. Well, one more time, thank you very much for being my guest. It was great to hear from you again. I'm just, again, honored, Ryan, to be on and part of your shows and uh, appreciate it. And uh, what you guys do, what uh, the Fire and Water Network does and everybody in the podcasting brotherhood or sisterhood, um, it's definitely helped me get started and uh, definitely a great bunch of uh, people in this community. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Happy to have you. All right, people, don't go away because I'm going to get some of your listener feedback coming up right after this. I got a lot of great comments on the website after episode 13, where Aaron Bias and I talked about the Star Wars Holiday Special. And most of those comments were pretty similar in describing how people first discovered the special, and whether they were crushingly disappointed, or if they had heard how bad it was supposed to be in advance, and were blown away by how bad it was even after all of the hype. Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast and my co-host on the brand new Batman Nightcast said, I actually listened to an interview with Steve Binder over at Skywalking Through Neverland yesterday. He said Lucas and CBS were in agreement on the variety show format, and they put the whole thing together with Kenner to sell the toys, which we know were finally hitting store shelves, and of course were the big Christmas items of 1978. So, that begs at least two questions. What did Lucas expect if he agreed to this format, and why oh why did this special have that uncomfortable segment with an elderly Wookiee and his humanoid sex fantasy if it was aimed squarely at children? Then, later on in the comments section, Chris came back to let us know that he tried to watch the holiday special again on YouTube. 
I fast-forwarded through about 90% of it. Danny, my nine-year-old daughter, came in and asked what I was watching. She was mildly interested in the idea of Chewie's family, but that quickly faded. The cartoon was more appealing to her, but she was repulsed by Han's design, and I agree, it's a bridge too far into the grotesque. I also noted how many uncomfortably long camera holds were focused on Mala's mostly unmoving face. Chilling. And finally, Chris said our podcast was the most enjoyable thing he's encountered connected to the holiday special. So bravo, gentlemen, and I do want that audio commentary. Maybe if you gave me, like, half the amount of coke that Carrie Fisher did in that special, you could coax me into watching it again for an audio commentary episode? That's still a big maybe, though. Rob Kelly from the Treasury cast and other shows here on the Fire & Water Network said... The one thing that still nags me about the Star Wars Holiday Special, and maybe it's been covered somewhere else and I just haven't come across it, is this. Other than the absence of Paul Lind, the special is pretty much standard issue, jokes and guest-wise, for a 70s variety special. The question is, why was this approach considered? Why, when it was first mentioned that Star Wars should be combined Brundlefly-like with a comedy variety special, did no one say, wait, that's a horrible idea, let's not do that? I get that this is the result once you've made that decision, but I am still waiting to find out why no one during the chain of production stopped and said, hey, let's rethink this. It's not like Sid and Marty Croft weren't doing live-action sci-fi every Saturday morning, and there wasn't a template that could be copied when trying to appeal to little kids. Then, Chuck Coletta replied to Rob by posting a YouTube link to the Donnie and Marie Osmond Star Wars special that did, in fact, feature Paul Lind. Chuck also posted a link later in the thread to an interview with B. Arthur and Harvey Corman talking about their experience on the Star Wars Holiday Special. Edo Bosnar said, Your comparison of it to a vaguely remembered fever dream is so apt. I recall later in high school and college talking to friends who had also seen it and wondering if we were really remembering all of the weirdness of it or if we had even seen it at all or if it was all just some kind of Jungian nightmare we all shared in a collective unconsciousness. Anyway, the Diane Carroll segment is the one that still boggles my mind the most. Everything about it, the music, Carroll's dialogue, and then the song, are so obviously sexual and so obviously out of place, it could have easily been inserted into one of the more arty porn films being made at the time, yet it's jammed into the middle of a variety show ostensibly aimed at preteen children. I still think that the Diane Carroll song was supposed to be a James Bond intro, like that was going to be the theme song for The Spy Who Loved Me, then the producers realized it sucked and got Carly Simon to sing Nobody Does It Better, then that Carroll number was just kind of floating around unused and they grabbed it for this. As ridiculous as that sounds, it is still the most logical explanation I can muster. Paul Hicks, former guest of the show and co-host of the Waiting for Doom podcast, said, I've only watched this once when it first aired. Even as a fanatical Star Wars kid, that was enough. It's existed in my head as a fuzzy sub-memory. Thanks for resurfacing this childhood trauma. <laughs> Happy to traumatize you, Paul. The Irredeemable Shag said, I have a very similar history to the special as Aaron. Only real memories as a kid were from other sources I came across. I could remember the Wookiees arguing and Han punching the Stormtrooper over the railing, but had no memory of the cartoon at all. One of my best friends and I used to argue over and over about whether the holiday special was live-action or animated, neither of us remembering it was both. And Nathaniel Wayne from Council of Geeks and Punch Like a Girl said, 
You suffered through this so the rest of us don't have to, and this is why Life Day is truly a day of remembrance. We remember your sacrifice, Aaron and Ryan, and thanks to you the rest of us may bypass this hell and ascend to Star Wars Heaven, where special editions don't exist and the prequels exist only as a vague backstory alluded to in character encyclopedias. I kind of like that version of Heaven. Last episode, Andy Capellish and I talked about the Star Wars action figures from the 90s, the Power of the Force 2 wave. Rob Kelly said, I sent away for the Bomar Monk action figure, which was connected to the Power of the Force line, I believe. It was the last grasp of my childhood when it came to Star Wars action figure collecting. Rob also said Andy had a couple of great turns of phrase this episode. He said garage sale, so it sounded like grad sale, which is way more interesting a concept. The Sweet Purple Packaging has to be the title of a book about Prince at some point, and A Year of Scary Disappointments. You said it, brother. And Rob said that like Andy, he still peruses the Star Wars Isle and Target pretty regularly. I have no intention of buying anything, but I still enjoy the process, and it's fun seeing little kids do what I did 40 years ago, i.e. push people out of the way to get the figures they wanted. Chris Franklin said Power of the Force 2 came out during the toy company's extreme phase, this, Total Justice, and yes, G.I. Joe Extreme, were pre-posed roid-raging monsters, partially inspired by McFarlane Toys' success with Spawn. They are all pretty ridiculous looking now. God, I remember G.I. Joe Extreme. Felt like a betrayal of everything I loved. Chris also said, Great episode. Andy makes me feel really old since I was in college when these hit, but his enthusiasm was infectious. And finally, Shag said, Part of what fueled the return of the figures and the fanbase around them was the announcement around 1995 that Lucas was going to finally make the prequels. That announcement rekindled Star Wars fandom like you couldn't imagine. That's about the time the toys started coming out again, too. Then Shag added, Regarding Shadows of the Empire and Ryan's and my aborted coverage, Ryan said that schedules conflicted, and by that he means I kept begging to get started, reread the book in anticipation, dug out my Shadows action figures and micro machines, listened to the soundtrack regularly, and was getting ready to reread the comics. So, yeah, that never happened. Maybe I should hijack the show and do my own Shadows of the Empire episode sometime in 2017. Anyone interested in hearing that? Well, how about it, folks? You want Shag's take on Shadows of the Empire on a future episode? Let us know. Anyway, thank you Shag and everyone else who left a comment. Thank you everyone who supported recent episodes on Facebook and Twitter. Next episode, if all goes well, should drop on Friday, December 16th, and will be a review of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. I'm hoping to see it Thursday the 15th and record my review immediately after. I better do that because I'm going on a trip to Ireland that Friday and won't have another chance to review the film until after Christmas. I suppose I could try to see the movie while I'm in Dublin, but I'd hate to watch it with Irish subtitles. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire & Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at ryandaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. Part of the theme music for this podcast is performed by the Evil Genius Orchestra from their album Star Wars Cocktails in the Cantina, available for purchase on iTunes and at Amazon Music. That and all other music, audio clips, or quoted text is used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Music